John 15, you know, we all know, well, hopefully we all know the scripture. Jesus talks, of, he kind of gives the contrast between, of his relationship with the Father. And the key word that he really used through John 15 is abide. Uh, and that word abide means unbroken fellowship. If you, if you study that word, Jesus was saying, I want unbroken fellowship with my people. Now, a lot of us probably scratch our heads and say, I don't even know how I can give unbroken fellowship. Lord, my day is so consumed, maybe by school, maybe by work. But come on, it's, is it not the truth? You know, I've just, I, before doing ministry full time, I worked ungodly hours uh, at a job that I was at. Um, it was a union job out in Drake, Massachusetts. And I just remembered many times in my truck just being like, God, what are you doing in my life? And I, I just, I'm not, I'm not in church. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing what I'm called to do. And I just felt like, I just want to be with you, Daryl, right now. I want to commune with you. I, you can have unbroken fellowship with me right here, right now, in this place. And guys, it's just something that, even as Noah was talking about, really just, I think, preparing our hearts to say, it's not just like a light switch that we turn off and on when we leave this place, but it's a living reality when we're in our workplace, when we're at school, whatever we're doing, that the Lord's eyes are upon us. He wants to be with us. It's very just, it's, it's, we don't want to over-spiritualize in any way that it can only happen on a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning. We want to know that when we leave this place, He's with us. And He want, more than with us, He wants to be with us. Amen? Amen? So good. Well, I'm, my wife is back with my son. Honey, you coming? I'm sorry, the whole dynamics here. I'm going to play cards with you, buddy. Yeah, it's going to be me and you. My son is here with us today. How many haven't met Abram? Hi. Anybody haven't? This is Abram Elias Temple, my boy. He's a lively bunch. We're going to go in the back room and have children's church. Have fun with my wife. I love you guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Change of hands, my little guy. He is, he's busy. He's absolute joy, but he's probably the strongest willed child. I nannied for 20 children during my early 20s, um, several families that I lived with, every personality type you can imagine, and never have I ever encountered a will like my son. So, um, I'm always using it in my life. <laughs> um, what we're going to do actually just really quickly is we're going to receive tithes and offerings, and I think my son made off with the baskets. Oh, there they are. Um, we're just going to pray over receiving of the tithes and offerings. And just so you know, if you're a visitor here, there's absolutely no pressure. There's no obligation. We just like to give people an opportunity to sow their first fruits um, into the house of God for the sustaining of the work of the ministry. So we're just going to pray over tithes and offerings. Lord, I just thank you for every individual life that is here. And God, we recognize, Lord, that our worship before you is more than a song. Lord, that it's more than music, Lord. And it's more than us offering even prayers to you. But God, that we worship you with every dimension and every aspect of our lives. So God, we just even say, God, that the giving of our finance is an act of worship unto you. Lord, we say that we trust you with all that we have, with all that we are. Lord, that in honoring you, Lord, that you provide for us far better than we could even provide for ourselves. So, God, we trust your provision. We trust your leadership. And, Lord, we say all that we have is yours. Be magnified and glorified, Lord, even through our finance, Father. We worship you. And pass those. Um, just briefly, a few announcements. For those of you that aren't aware, there's prayer here throughout the week. Um, Tuesday through Friday, 6.30 to 8 o'clock in the morning, there's morning prayer sets. 
Um, and then Wednesday and Saturday evening from 7 to 9 is worship and intercession. And this Saturday, the 14th, is Izzy around? Where's Izzy? The 14th, um, they're starting their first um, justice prayer block. So from so when prayer ends at 9, nor- typically on a Saturday, from 9 to 11, they're going to continue with a justice prayer block. Prayer block, And they're going to pray specifically into issues of human trafficking, abortion, issues of justice. So I invite you um, to join them. And just so you know, out in the foyer way, there are cards that have our prayer schedule listed there. So you can grab that and have it in hand. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other specific announcements. Um, I don't think that there is. Oh, you know what? Really quick, I just thought of this. Um, in regards to tithes and offerings, I just want to put it out there. Also, there's no pressure, but one amongst us today had their wallet stolen, and actually, like, all of the money that they have was in their wallet. Um, and I don't even know, I didn't tell the person I was going to do this, so I don't mind, I don't know if it, they mind me making it known. So, um, I'm actually, can we designate one of those baskets specifically? Um, so, if you have a dollar, if you have five, ten, twenty, but just to be able to carry them through and be a blessing to them in their time of need, that's really what the household of faith is for, is that we're a blessing to one another. Um, in time of need. So I just want to encourage you, if you're able, to give toward um, an individual amongst us that pretty much had everything that they have stolen. Um, <clears throat> trying to think, is there any other announcements amongst our team that, um, no, we're good, we're good. I want to encourage everyone, I don't, I'm not exactly sure if they're all up on the web, um, but what Noah was sharing today, we actually stay, like for two or three weeks, we're speaking specifically about fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Um, and it kind of came out of a word the Lord spoke to me at a time I was kind of praying about a lack of peace I had in an area. And I heard the Holy Spirit very clearly say, you're operating independently from me. And I kind of went, oh, <laughs> that would explain it. But it kind of, we for three weeks really focused on what it is to live in fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit. And really kind of how the Holy Spirit, it's part of like the foundation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of our faith. But that oftentimes we can actually go days, even weeks, without communing, fellowshipping, and living sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So I would just encourage you, if that spoke to you, and if your heart really was stirred, that you should listen to one or the three weeks um, that we focused on that, and it would just really give you a lot of scriptural understanding um, and basis, and understanding for even one of the, very practically, I just want to say this, one of the practical ways to remain in fellowship with the Holy Spirit is really just talking to Him throughout your day, just in conversation of whether it's in a time of need or just when you're driving, but making room to talk with the Holy Spirit continually. So I would encourage you to, um, we can give, if, hey Izzy, this is our basket for our friend. Can you grab my water right here? Um, and I don't think, so next week, um, for those of you that don't know, we're going to be doing water baptisms. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. We got a tub right in there. <laughs> so it probably won't be the most formal baptism you've ever seen in your life, um, but it will be water. And when you, we actually look at, we're going to look at Romans six today. Um, so for those of you that have been water baptized, I don't want you to check out going. I've been water baptized because there really is an understanding. What we're looking at is more than the immersion of water. What we're looking at is what is it to live a life where we are dead, buried, and raised again with Christ, which is what each of us and all of us are called to. Um, And really, when we look at Romans, really Paul calls and charges us to live a life that reflects really the act of baptism, that it's manifested in every dimension of our life. So we're going to look at that today. But just a couple practicals. If you are here 
Um, number one, if you've never been water baptized, but after learning about baptism today and um, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin, if you kind of go, yes, I definitely want to be baptized, see me afterwards so we can go over some of the practicals. Um, secondly, if you are here and you've been water baptized in the past, but after hearing about water baptism today, you feel like you have a new understanding of water baptism and even a sense of an awareness of the Holy Spirit that you actually want to go through the prophetic. It is a prophetic act of your life being immersed once again and being and really the old man laying him to rest in areas because it might be issues of addiction. It might be areas of um, that, a need for deliverance. But if you feel like it's something that the Holy Spirit is really stirring in your heart to do once more, see me as well. But a couple practicals. If you do come, I strongly suggest, I'm not saying I require, that women wear a bathing suit and actually just put a t-shirt and shorts over it. It's just kind of like the most modest way to go about it. Um, and for a man to wear a bathing suit with a t-shirt as well. Um, and then bring a towel. I will have some, but if there's multiple people instead of me doing 5,000, um, everybody can just do their own. <laughs> I'm all about making light work. <laughs> um, so anyhow, let me just open with a word of prayer. And I'm just trying to make sure we have no other, I'm pretty bad about announcements. I'm always forgetting something very significant. I think we're cool. So, Father, we thank you for your presence in our midst. God, we thank you for the joy that it is to worship you, the joy that it is to fellowship and commune with you. And God, we just say that now as we enter into the reading of the word, God, that we want to fellowship with you through your word. Father, that we want to see you even more clearly through the written word, that we want to fellowship with you through the word. So God, we say, open up our eyes, open up our understanding that we might know you, that we might behold Jesus through the words that are written. Lord, we ask that our, our spiritual understanding would be enlightened and open to greater revelation, Lord, that you'd sensitize our spirits. Even words that um, we have heard over and over again, God, would you strike us with new understanding and new revelation, sensitize our spirits today. We worship you, Jesus. We say that the one and only reason that we gather is that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high. So glorify your name in our midst. We worship you. So most of you, when you hear the word baptism, I think we're all really, really familiar with Matthew 28, 19. It's kind of like every Christian um, knows that it's almost the great call and the great commission of Christianity is go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it's very interesting that the Great Commission, it wasn't simply just go and preach and see them converted. It wasn't simply go and preach and then start a church. I mean, there was many things that Jesus could have charged them to do. And that's the thing is oftentimes we really have to look very closely that when Jesus gave instruction and when he spoke, he was speaking something very specific. And so it's important that we look at the specifics of what he spoke and we adhere to it and glean the most that we can. So when he said, go and teach all nations, teach is very literal. It's to make disciples. Go and disciple all nations. And basically to disciple is to call them to follow the precepts and the instructions of following Jesus. But baptizing, it's very, very literal. It's like exactly what we understand of the immersion of water. But what we're going to look at today is the spiritual significance and really what the immersion of water represents in our lives. Um, but baptizing literally means to dip. 
to immerse or to submerge a vessel to sink it. I mean, that's baptized right there. You sink it in. Um, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean by water. That's powerful. To make clean by water. And as all of us understand, water does make clean in the natural but the understanding that with baptism, that there is a spiritual implication where our spirit, it's an act of it being made clean. And it's through something, uh, something supernatural that the Holy Spirit does, not necessarily the water itself. Um, to wash oneself, to bathe, to overwhelm. It signifies the remission or washing away of our sins. It can proceed or it can also follow the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So understand that you could have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, meaning the evidence of speaking in tongues, but not yet be water baptized. Or also you could be water baptized. And I've in often situations actually seen that when someone um, is then brought up from the water, that they come up speaking in tongues, that there's an infilling that takes place um, at that time. So just to understand that it's not that they go one in the same or they're inter that they're interchangeable, that they're two dis distinct baptisms. And even in the Hebrew and Greek, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of water, they're actually very different words and different understandings. Um, but what I love is one commentator actually how he defines and gives understanding that baptism is basically, it's, it's signifying that we are dead to sin. Um, our baptism signifies our cutting off from the kingdom of sin. We profess to have no more to do with sin. We are dead to sin by a participation of virtue and power for, of the killing of it, and by our union with Christ and interest in him, and by whom it was killed, meaning it's Christ who killed our union with sin. All of this is in vain if we persist in sin. We contradict a profession. We violate an obligation when we return to that which we, that, that we are dead to like walking ghosts, that which nothing more um, can be more, uh, he, he goes on talking about how absurd it is, I don't want to necessarily belabor um, that point, but he also goes on to say, participation of the privilege perfect purchased by death, meaning there was a privilege that's given to us through the death of Jesus Christ, and we then are participating in that privilege, and into an obligation both to comply with the design of his death, the very reason that he died, which was to redeem us from all iniquity. So we basically are participating in the very origin and the destiny, the reason that Christ was crucified. Um, like I said, what, which was to redeem us from, from all iniquity and to conform us to the pattern of his death, that as Christ died for sin, so we should be dead to sin. This was the profession and the promise of our baptism. And we do not, and we do, not do well if we do not answer this profession and make good on the promise and the declaration of the profession of baptism. This is a wonderful illustration. Actually, um, basically when they're comparing the Hebrew and Greek words for baptism, they actually go back to, and they say that like a wonderful picture in your mind so that you can understand it, um, is that <clears throat> there's a Greek poet and he basically refers to a physician um, who lived about 200 BC, and it says that this is the way he distinguishes it. Um, it. There's a recipe for making pickles, and it's helpful because it uses both words. And in the recipe, in order to make a pickle, the vegetable, so we all know, like basically you take a cucumber. So you have a cucumber when you're starting before you have a pickle. But the two differences are is that one is you actually immerse the pickle like you dunk it in boiling water, so, and then it comes out immediately. 
but then when you actually immerse it in oil, when it's soaked in the oil and when it's soaked in the vinegar, literally the actual composition and identity of the pickle changes to a cucumber. It is no longer a cucumber. It can never go back to being a cucumber once it becomes a pickle. So the difference is, is at one point it's almost instantaneously immersed and then it's brought out. It does not change its um, makeup. It doesn't change its nature. It doesn't change its character. It still comes out a cucumber. Still you've got a cucumber there. But then when you immerse it and it's soaked and saturated in the, in the, in the oil, once it's there, it literally, it changes the very identity of it, and it is never the same. And that actually is the word picture to understand baptism in the New Testament. That when you are baptized, that literally, <laughs> I know this is going to sound funny, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. You start out a cucumber, and then you become a pickle. Like, you can never, ever go back. Like, literally, your makeup. So when he gives you that understanding in the Greek, uh, it's, it's not that understanding of you just got dunked momentarily and you came up still a cucumber. It's literally all that you are changed. It's never to be the same. It's not even the same um, composition. It's completely, radically different. And actually in the Greek it says that that's the only way to actually understand that Greek word for baptism. Because in our English mind, we would think it gets dunked and then it comes up and there you are, you just got dunked. But verses where he says that it got immersed, it soaked, it was saturated, it was baptized in, in that liquid. But when it came, came out of the liquid, it was now no longer a cucumber. It was now a pickle that it changed its entire identity. And that's really the Greek understanding of baptism. That you go down and you come up and you are never the same. And granted, when we look at you, I still look at Bethany. I still look like Bethany after I got baptized. But meaning in the spirit realm and my spirit before God, that it was completely different. It was entirely changed. I was no longer the same. My makeup was different, meaning my inward makeup. All of it changed. And that's the only, isn't that interesting that in the Greek, that the only thing that they can go back to is the recipe that this man would follow and the words that he used and the understanding of that it changed completely, never to be the same. Um, my favorite, favorite passage of scripture in discussing baptism, there's a lot in the Bible about baptism, but to truly get a picture beyond the act of immersion and into what is happening in our spirit and what is happening supernaturally, I think that the best example is Romans 6. I don't know how many of you have looked very closely at Romans 6, um, but pretty much what we're going to do tonight is we're going to highlight some very specific passages of Scripture out of Romans 6. Um, we're going to look at it, and from, from Romans 6, we'll have an understanding, really, of the supernatural exchange. But this is what I want. If you have been water baptized, I've been water baptized. I don't want you to check out in the sense of going, well, I've been water baptized, so Romans 6 doesn't necessarily apply to me. No, 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 no. Actually, the opposite. If you've been water baptized, we are to be the manifestation of Romans 6. Romans 6 is basically the identity and the, the, um, the, the, the qualities of those of us that have been water baptized. And what I want you to know is really clearly what we're going to touch on tonight is, number one, the definition of grace. Because there is an understanding in our generation of a grace that somehow is a cover-up for us to continue sinning. It's really, and I'm going to say it, and just so you can understand where we're coming from as a church and as a ministry, is that... Grace is not the um, cover-up or the enabler for you to continue in sin, and somehow you're covered in grace. Grace is the supernatural <coughs> power of God enabling you to walk free from sin. 
So it's, the, it's a clear understanding of grace, but it's also a definition of what we're going to define tonight is actually sin. Because we live in a culture, and even in a Christian society, where we'll refer to something as a struggle. <laughs> like, I have a struggle in an area. And whenever I hear that, I always kind of go, why don't you just say it's a sin? Why don't you just say, I, I have sin in an area? Because it's almost like we, we skirt around it, and we make it somehow more acceptable, more pleasing, more... Um, appealing, as if we all have it, we all, but really, if we look at the definition in the word of God of sin, I mean, it is a violent enemy disease that comes to destroy us. And until we look rightly at sin, we won't deal rightly with sin. But somehow, we've, we've come to a place of seeing it almost as a friend, that it's something that will always be with us. Like, this is kind of the mentality in the Christian Church of America. It's something that will always be with you. You just kind of learn to work with it and around it and just, you know, somehow modify it rather than that it's something that we need to eradicate from our life. Now, hear me. I'm in no way saying that I walk in perfection or that I'm a sinless person. So, like, by the declarations of what I'm saying. But what I will say to you is that I am not a slave to sin. There is no area in my life that I live in bondage of a, a, a ruling, reigning, uh, something that is operating that I'm in bondage to, that I become a slave to. And this is where I want us to almost like redefine our lives. Some of you guys see yourselves as sinners that are trying to love Jesus. Like I'm a sinner, I fail, I stink, and I'm just trying to get a heart to love Jesus. I mean, and when you define yourself that way, you're coming out the gate defeated. Like, <laughs> you just, before you even put your foot on the floor that day, you were defeated because you defined yourself as a sinner, and I'm just going to work with all my might to try to love Jesus somehow. Got to get wholehearted. But when you define yourself as you sincerely are a lover of God, and you sometimes struggle with sin, you're actually starting from a whole different playing field. My identity is, I sincerely love Jesus. I love him with my whole heart, but I, there's areas that I may be wrestling through. There's areas I may be struggling through, but that is my identity. And see, when you, those two different paradigms, those are two radically different, and you're either starting out the gate defeated, or you're starting out the gate actually in a place of strength and grace and knowing the heart of God towards you, the way that he sees you. And those two things will actually, like, this is what actually strikes me a little bit about the false grace message that's preached in America. And I know that within young adult movements, you know, where a lot of us are young adults here, it's very common, very prevalent. Um, but I guess what I don't really get about the false grace message is I almost feel like, how in the world is that empowering to anyone? Because pretty much you just resolved yourself, I will always be defeated. I just need to come and somehow ask for grace to get a good cover-up. And I'm going to be very honest with you. In all of my years, just, you know, I, I mean, if you're here weekly, you know, I pretty much fell in love with Jesus when I was like 15, 16, had a crazy encounter with the Lord. He won my heart. But that's not to say that I didn't have things that came against my heart. I can look back at seasons of my life, whether it be 19, 20, 22, 24, where there were things that were so violently warring against my soul. I mean, it's not like I'm immune it's not like I somehow just walked on a cloud and like made it through without promiscuity or perversion or just like, but I can honestly say through every season of my life, the Holy Spirit, because I had a relationship with the Holy Spirit, 
he was always, uh, always, he never, ever, ever focused on an outward act of mine or never, like when I was asking for forgiveness for something, he would never allow me to focus on an act. He was forever and fiercely focused on the issues of my heart. Yeah. Constantly. I mean, Galatians and Colossians became like my books daily of where he says, those that set their affections on yeah. things that are above. Affections, your desires, your longings, your passions. And that's what I want you to hear today, is that when we're talking about sin versus grace, and where he calls us to righteousness and holiness, when we're talking about baptism, this is in, I just want to silence any voice of accusation that would say it's a condemnation message. That somehow you, you're supposed to be living sinless and you're not, so bonk on the head. That's not what it's about at all. It's about looking at scripture to say, he gives us such a radical promise of hope. He gives us such a radical promise of what is available, of what he desires, of what he's made provision for. And it's looking at the promise. It's looking at what he's made available. And instead of kind of like casting you down and kind of going, you'll always struggle with sin. You'll always be defeated. It's your human nature. It's your sin nature. Just deal with it and just ask for forgiveness. It's instead saying, no, you are not destined to be defeated. You are destined to overcome in every area of your life. And really what we're going to look at through Romans 6 is how do we do that? How do we overcome? And I, I'm going to be honest with you, you're not, you're not going to get the one, two, three's remedies. It's really, we're going to look at the issues of the heart and the continual yielding to the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're going to look at, and honestly, when we look at Romans 6, I love it, because Paul brings it back to the issue of the heart. And it's radically different because you could look at an area of perversion in your life and be like, oh, don't look at that, don't look at that, don't think about that, stop fantasizing. You, know, you could constantly be killing yourself over it, but instead of focusing on conforming your outward behavior, and hear me, I, I don't want to sound like freaky weird. Like, I don't think that there should be outward conformity. I understand there's a place where, you know, Paul says, I resisted unto bloodshed. That's crazy. Like, I resisted unto bloodshed. Meaning I fought so hard to resist against sin. So I get it that there's a very practical place of resisting. I'm not denying that. But beyond that, there's a place where our very desires change. There's a place where he's after our desire. He's after our very passion. So that instead of you desiring those things, you no longer desire them. And, that, and your actual appetite is altered. Um, so if you want to open to Romans 6. I'm just going to start by reading, um, what shall we say then? And just so you understand, this is kind of like before he's really expounding upon grace. And some of this is actually where we get the false grace teaching is because people are like, well, there's grace and there's grace and we're not under law. There's grace, there's grace. But we kind of forget the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5 where he says, I did not come to abolish the law. I, I came that the law would be fulfilled. We're not under law in a legalistic sense. And when Paul says we're not under the law, what he actually means is we're not under it in the legalistic sense of trying to fulfill it. Now we have the power of the Holy Spirit working within. And it's actually the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit within us that causes us to be able to walk out the fulfillment of the law. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, 
we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. I mean, right here, this is like a beautiful understanding of what baptism is. Therefore, we were buried. That's when we're immersed in water. That's the, the, the picture that we're seeing when we're immersed. Uh, immersed in water, baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised, when we're raised up under the uh, under, uh, from the water, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. The understanding of newness of life supposes that there's a newness of heart. And this is where it goes back to the understanding. When you study the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek all throughout Scripture, when it's referencing life, it's going back to um, where the psalmist David said, that it's out of the abundance of the heart that flows life. It's from our heart that all life flows. And so when it declares that there's newness of life, there's newness of heart. That there's a new heart. And it's that place of even having faith that when we're baptized, that there's a new heart, a new desire, a new passion, even a transference of spirit within us. Um, for if we have been united together, this is verse 5, in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. This word united, this is actually kind of what I want us to base the rest of what we're looking at. In verse 5 when he says you're united, this is the promise of union with Christ. We are given a promise of uni union with Christ. And what we're going to begin to look at is how do we experience union with Christ? What is the way that we walk out union with Christ? Uh, verse 6 knowing this, that our old man was crucified. Our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. I just have to say, I personally feel like that scripture cancels out the false grace message. It says that the body of sin is done away with, that no longer we're to be governed by it. Okay, um, we are crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This is what I want us to hear right here. I'm not saying that like with baptism or even with salvation that it's as if you never have another sinful desire. I'm not saying that you'll never wrestle with sin. The word crucified, he could have used any other word there. But most of you have seen The Passion of Christ, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I mean, the whole movie is pretty much his crucifixion. I mean, it's a long, grueling crucifixion. It did not come quickly. It wasn't like a sudden blow. I mean, there are people that die, and it's an instant death. Like, you get struck in the head. You get a bullet to the... But crucifixion, he uses the word that um, our old man was crucified with him. So there's two things here when you study this passage of Scripture out. Yes, it's crucified in the sense of it, it, it died on the cross with Jesus. But how many of you guys know, like... Most of us in this room, there still, still is a very alive sin nature. So if we kind of go, yeah, but I thought it died with him on the cross. Like, what's the... We need to understand when he uses the word crucified, you need to understand that the grace, even that's spoken over you, is that the crucifixion was a process. There's many areas in your life that overcoming sin will be a process. So I just almost want to disarm the thought of, like, you're going to repent, ask for forgiveness, and... And hear me, I totally believe in supernatural deliverance. Yeah. 
I believe you can be delivered in a moment from masturbation. I believe you can be delivered in a moment from anger, unforgiveness, rage. I believe you can be delivered in a moment from jealousy. I mean, all of those works of the flesh and sin. I believe it can happen. But the understanding here is that we are crucified with Christ. That that, that crucif crucifixion that took happen, happened to Jesus, that was a long, grueling process. And it ended in death but it did not come easily. I can honestly say that I can look back in seasons of my life and it wasn't just that I simply said, oh, I absolutely will not partake and I am just closing the door. It was me over a year, two years, using scripture, praying, fasting, like in a constant, vigilant state. I participated with the Holy Spirit and I can say to you today that there was victory and I was victorious and my life did not come into bondage and I did not get addicted or I did not, but I can honestly say to you that that victory or that breakthrough only came as a process. And oftentimes, like the crucifixion, it can be a painful process. But you know what it was? My desire for God was greater. It's not necessarily, hear me, it's not necessarily that you don't desire certain things right now. Those desires might be very alive within you, but at the end of the day, our desire for God is greater. Our desire for God is greater. And when our desire is for God is greater, if we continually wrestle and even um, war against those other things that are coming against us, you will see breakthrough. You will see victory. You will be an overcomer. We're going to look further down here <clears throat> before I elaborate on this too far. Um, in verse 7 through 23, really sin becomes defined here and is identified in understanding. Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. I understand all of these scriptures. It's almost like your mind is trying to wreck and like, oh yeah, free from sin. Why am I still struggling? Why am I? <laughs> but meaning that it, it is, it's been available. The work of the cross did that for you. Now there's an outworking of actually laying claim to that which has been made available to us. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the, the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members and instruments as, as instruments of righteousness to God. This is what I want us to look at, is in verse 12 here. This is kind of what I was just touching on previously. Where it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. This understanding, what he's saying, and you can almost use this word reign as even like a king would reign. Do not let sin reign over you. Meaning that it is your ruler, it is your master, that you are subject to it as you would be subject to a king. Do not let it reign over you. But with that understanding, you also have to understand, that's not saying that sin will not come as a tyrant to harass you. So sin can come, and hear me, my, my definition of sin here, I mean, all of us in varying degrees, some of it, it can be like issues of anger, it can be issues of competition, 
It can even insecurity, like when we become so focused on self, I think every single one of us, the issue of pride, like no one is exempt. It can manifest itself through pity. It can manifest itself through arrogance. I mean, it manifests itself in many different ways. But the issue of sin, when it's outlined in the word, it goes through contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, murder. I mean, I mean it's, it's the issues of the heart and the works of the flesh. Um, but this issue is that I feel like he outlines it so clearly here. Do not let it reign in your mortal body. Meaning is it is your taskmaster that rules over you, reigns over you, and you are living in obedience, obeying its dictates and commands. But instead, do understand that sin will, I mean, we live in a mortal body and we live in a fallen world. So sin will come to you as a tyrant to harass, to afflict, and really what it is, is that the more that we learn to operate in crucifying our flesh and walking in the spirit, it's almost like the more we learn to walk and to exercise that, we'll experience greater and greater victory over those things. But what he's specifically addressing is the issue of it reigning as king in your life, as if you obey it in its commands. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself, this verse actually, um, Verse 13, um, in the original it's do not, um, oh, he's actually calling you to yield yourself to God. And this is what I want us to begin to look at. We looked at the crucifixion as far as the understanding of sin and the way that we wrestle against it. But this is where he begins to outline that what you are called to do, it says, but, but. This is kind of the turning point, but yield yourself to God. It's that place of continually yielding our mind, continually yielding our thoughts, even our emotions. I mean, I even do this with my son because of the age that he's at. Because I figured, I'm like, okay, if I as an adult, like if I get into those moments where either it could be anxiety, it could be strife, it could be a lack of peace where I'm striving to get, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I will say over myself, Bethany, I command your mind, your soul, and your emotions to come under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing, like, how that just goes, okay, cool. <laughs> Got it. Like, it, it, it will shift you. I mean, you're, you're speaking to your spirit. Come into alignment. And it's, like, the funniest thing, because if my son just starts getting, like, crazy on me, like, what? Like, you know, like, a SWAT's not going to work, a timeout not going to work. You just got, like, chaos surrounding you right now. I just look at him, and I know he has no idea what I'm doing. I'll just say, Abram, I command your mind, will, and emotions to come under the authority of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I just figure it works for me. It has to work for him, right? <laughs> and I, I encourage you. I mean, it's that place of saying, present yourself to God. <coughs> when you are tempted in an area, don't stand there like in your mental war of going, I fell three times this week. I did the you know. Just in that moment of crisis, just present yourself to God. I would even encourage you. I mean, this is like when I was kind of in the lowest of blows. I don't know. I think I was like 20, 21, 22. When I just really was having, I mean, I was praying and fasting, but there were things warring against my soul. I can honestly say I came to the point of saying God loves me and he enjoys me no matter what. So this is what I'm going to do. When I am even under condemnation, guilt, feeling like I'm never going to have victory and breakthrough, those are the moments where I'm just simply going to lay on my floor before the Lord and say, here I am, my messed up, confused, 
struggling self, so come and love me. <laughs> Here you go. But honestly, I can honestly say that through those seasons of my life, the only answer was just that I kept, I kept, no matter what, I just kept presenting myself before God. Just keep yielding yourself before God, and I guarantee every circumstance will alter, change, and will turn around. I can't tell you how. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you if it'll be a week, two weeks, a month, a year. I mean, I can't tell you, but I can tell you if you'll just perpetually present yourself before God, you can't go wrong. You absolutely can't go wrong. And there is nothing that is warring against you that can have victory over your life if you'll perpetually do that. Just keep pre present yourself. Before. I don't care how messed up the situation is. I don't care how messed up your mind is. I don't care how bound in sin you are. I don't care if you think no one else has struggled like you or no one else is as bad as you or no one else is as insecure. I don't care what it is. Just keep presenting yourself before God and somehow the presence of God entering in to your chaos and your mess, he is going to make sense of it. You know, I was um, very, very little. For those of you that don't know, I, I have an amazing mom and dad, but just like every family, you have your places where you're wounded as a kid. And I can just, I mean, I as a kid, probably because I am i am very sensitive. I know that many people don't know that or think that. <laughs> I am. I'm a deep feeler. Um, but, I know, it's, it's so funny. Whenever I say I'm sensitive, every, like even close friends are like, you are? You just seem so steely. Um, but I'm so <laughs> very sensitive. Ask my husband. Um, but as a kid, it really opened the door for a lot of wounding. I was a very wounded little girl but I actually think that like my family circumstances is what um, the Holy Spirit used to even cause me to be strong and be able to confront and stand up and challenge certain things um, but as a kid I can honestly remember this I had, I had a relationship with the Lord from a very young age and like I remember talking to my mom one day and saying mom I remember the room I had with like the pink wallpaper and I, I described it and I'm like how old was I and she's like, you were three when you had that room. But I can, because I was trying to denote like ages and what was happening in my life, but I can remember being put to bed at night and I actually would like get up out of my bed after they tucked me in, prayed for me, you know, the whole deal. I would get on the side of my bed and just pray and go, Jesus, I want to know you. Like my heart, like, okay, so now I'm in my 30s and I can read the Psalms and go, okay, it's a seeking heart. Like, it was a heart to seek God. But as a kid, I didn't have, like, language or understanding for it. All I knew is I wanted to hear God's voice. Like, I wanted him to speak to me. Like, he was a mystery, but I knew he was real. So my heart so longed to know him. But I can remember at that stage of my life, I would lay in my bed my favorite, favorite song. Um, like I said, there was a lot of emotional brokenness in my life. But I would sing over and over again, um... He made something beautiful, some... Do you guys know this song? Mm -hmm. No. You do. Okay, because you're an old-timer. You came from, like, the, the, yeah, the family that raised you in the faith. But it goes, he made something beautiful, something good. All of my confusion, Jesus understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. And really for me, isn't it crazy as a child? But I literally felt like such an emotional 
mess, and I was. I, most of you have heard me testify, if Jesus didn't really touch me radically when I was young, I'd probably be like in a mental ward because I had such fear. I was traumatized, terrorized by fear. Um, but I can remember just thinking that one line of the song was all I could identify with as a child of all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. Mm -hmm. But he made something beautiful out of my life. And most of us in this room, we drive a car, we have a house, we have like a life that looks good. But the, the average individual does feel like inwardly they're full of brokenness and strife. That there's, there's areas of devastation, that there's areas that we wish it were different. We wish it went a different way. We wish we could have done it this way. We don't feel like we measure up. We feel insignificant, insufficient, all of those things. But the promise of that song, like even as a child, is saying that he made something beautiful out of my life. That is the promise to each and every one of us. And that's ultimately when he says, present yourselves to God. Yield yourselves to God. Just bring the mess. Just bring it. Don't try to like perfect it, make it better. Don't try to fix it or make it look different or get over it and then go, and then I'll go to God. Like, then I'll offer him, even your giftings, your talents, your ability. He is not looking for you to be perfected to then do something with you. He's saying, this is his one call, just present yourself to me. And in all of your confusion, in all of your strife, I am going to do something beautiful. I will do something amazing. Nothing that you could ever, ever do apart from me. And I will say to you, if you, if you don't present yourself to God... Your mess is just going to get worse. Whatever it is, it will spiral downward. Because even as it says in scripture that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, that our carnal mind leads to death. All of our solutions, how to fix it, all of our, I'm going to do it this way. I mean, I can tell you, sometimes I can muster up the most amount of strength and be like, I'm going to, and then 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 I'm going to. Yeah. Got it. That's I'm going to do it. <laughs> and at the end of it, we're tail spinning out of control, it's bad. But it's amazing if you'll just quiet yourself before the Lord and just go, don't got no answers, don't got a great remedy, don't got a big slogan. I got a mess on my hands, but I'm going to invite you into it. Somehow, I mean, I, I honestly tell my husband, sometimes I can be in the middle of like the worst situations, and I'll just be like, I don't know how God's going to fix this. I don't know how to, and I get like a phone call. And like, just change, I mean, it's like, they need to do, do the, the, I mean, in a moment, it changes. And that's even what I tell my husband. I mean, obviously, when you're running a ministry, I mean, especially like in a state like Massachusetts, um, <laughs> with the mandate that we have that's kind of an anomaly a little bit, <laughs> when you're facing lots and lots of challenges, I'll say to my husband all the time, like, when you're looking at a thousand things that are against you, I'll say to my husband, it can all change in a moment. Just a moment. The whole playing field changes in a moment. Because that's the God factor. I mean, in a moment, it can change. Your whole entire circumstance can change. And it, sometimes it's not even necessarily that the circumstances around you changed, but somehow something, either understanding, revelation, the Lord did something inwardly, even sometimes inside of us that changed everything. So this is number one. Present yourselves to God as being alive <clears throat> from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you. And this is back to what I was saying earlier where he says, um, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Here he's using the word dominion. It's that understanding as like a king, 
of something that is ruling over you, dictating you, controlling you. So once again, I'm saying I'm not that it's not that you will not wrestle against war, against have to resist and even work through that process, but it's the understanding that to have dominion over you, that spiritually and legally that the right is in your hand and the authority is in your hand um, to walk in that place of victory. Um, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And this is where we introduce grace. I love this. Um, verse 15. What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave from whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But, but God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which was delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So secondly here, this is where he says that you were slaves to sin. So those that were formerly slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. Mm -hmm. And this is where the emphasis goes on the heart. It wasn't that you did all the outward conformity to get it right, to make it look right, to alter your circumstance. The place is obedience from the heart. Of just saying, Jesus, you're after my heart. I have desires within me that have not been conformed to your will. I obviously have longings and desires that have not been yielded to your lordship. So it's that place that he's after the pursuit of our heart. Um, let me just see before we... I just want to reference, not to turn there, but Romans 8, 6, um, and 7 is also where really sin is very clearly defined, that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, which I quoted earlier. But then it goes on to say in verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity toward God. But this is what you have to understand, is when he's using the word carnal, it means that our flesh is enmity towards God, our human nature is enmity towards God, that the earthly nature of man, apart from divine influence, is enmity towards God, and that the, the nature in us that is prone to sin and opposed to God is enmity towards God. Um, 1 John 3, 4 through 11, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and that in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was made manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And I'm addressing this, like I said, all of this context, the Holy Spirit did not write these passages of Scripture to condemn us. He wrote it that we could clearly understand the lines between sin and grace and what he has. And when he says that he was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil, he's associating this to the issue of sin, to destroy the works of the devil in our life. That that was why he was manifested. That literally is the whole point of the crucifixion on the cross. This all goes back to the pinnacle of our faith is the crucifixion. It's not often talked about. 
it's pretty ugly, it's even often despised. It's kind of like if you're going to do something public for an outreaching community, nobody wants to use the image of the cross because it's divisive. Nobody wants to use the image of the cross, but ultimately the image of the cross is the very foundation of our faith. The understanding of his crucifixion and what was won for us through it is the only way we can actually understand how we are to now live our lives and what he has made a way and what he has prepared a way for. Um, whoever has, has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. I, I'm saying this because, like I said, I was one time I was repenting before the Lord, kind of like, how did I get myself in this situation? You know, I'm doing my whole thing in a worship service, and I so clearly heard the voice of God as I was repenting. He said, Bethany, I am not grieved over that. And I kind of went, Pretty sure it was a sin. Like, pretty sure you should be grieved. I don't understand that one. But but literally, he was taking all the emphasis off. I mean, it was just like the most bizarre, like, when you're not, like, I know you're grieved over sin. Come on, let's, you know. So I'm literally, in, in all my shock, while my defenses are down, of going, you're not grieved over that. So for a second, this is what I want you to do. Whatever you feel like the Holy Spirit might be grieved over in your life, an area of sin or bondage or addiction or even meditations of the heart, emotions that are whatever you feel like he might be grieved over in your life. This is literally what he spoke to me in that moment as I was shocked going, okay, what's the punchline? He then said, what I'm grieved over is when you left the place of abiding in me. See, he was, I was focused on what I was doing. I was like focused on, oh my gosh, I just sinned. And oh my gosh, I just, I can't believe it. And I'm vexed and confused and upset and in my own whirlwind of confusion. And he's going, no, 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 back it up. Back, 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 back it up. Obviously, I, hear me, I know that he's grieved over sin. But what he was saying was, that is not what my heart is broken over. I'm broken over broken fellowship and relationship with you. I, the only way you are capable of even sinning is because you left abiding with me. Mm -hmm. There was a place where you were walking with me. There was a place where you were communing with me. There was a place where, I mean, for every single one of us, it's different. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, I was in a real steadfast place of prayer. And for me, because of just certain circumstances in my life, the busyness of my life, I wasn't as vigilant in that place in my life. And so he was speaking to me, it was when you left the place of abiding. And really that sent me on a huge journey of going, what is it to abide? Like what? I mean, that honestly, this was, I was 22. This was more than uh, 11 years ago, I guess. It was 11 years ago. And so at that time, there was not a predominant amount of teaching. I'm just going, okay, abide. abide. You, you're grieved over the place I, and I knew what he meant. It, there was broken relationship mm -hmm. that was the open door to sin. I mean, when we're, if you're in fellowship with the Lord, I can guarantee if you're almost in route to do whatever you're about to do, that you know the sin, or you know that it's, I mean, it could even be a conversation. I mean, I don't know where we're all at in the room. It could be gossip. If you're about to just spew some nasty funk about somebody to somebody else, which is a sin, it actually, in, in Proverbs, says that you're counted amongst those that shed innocent bloodshed. It's one of the seven abominations. Is that's powerful. It says you are counted amongst those that shed innocent blood when you sow discord. So, just to put it all in perspective, that the playing field for all of us is level. None of us is more <laughs> wicked than another, right? <laughs> 
So if you're about to, I'm just trying to give you an analogy here. If you're about to gossip and spread something that is false about another person, I can guarantee as you're just about to do that, if you invite the Holy Spirit, just saying, Holy Spirit, I invite you and I just want to yield my tongue to you. I guarantee, like unless you're really hardened and just do want to grieve, intentionally grieve the Holy Spirit, you're probably going to go, okay, my heart, uh, that's not what I want to do. I do not want to grieve you. I don't want to. It's that place of inviting him in and like learning. It's the art and it's the practice of abiding and fellowshipping with the Lord. Um, obey from the heart. I'm just going to give you, just so you can look them up on your own. Two other passages of scripture. These were kind of like my life verses during that particular season. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, which is, if, um, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are, uh, uh, <coughs> sorry, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you died, here it is again. This is like the image of baptism. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then Christ, who is our life, appears. You also will appear with him in glory. Galatians 5, 24. And those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And this is where his emphasis, once again, the Holy Spirit, his eyes are ever going towards our heart, which is our passions and our desires. There's a few places here, actually, where it says, set your mind. When you look at it in the Greek, it actually, it, it's not mind as in thinking. It's actually your midriff, which this in the, in the Greek is where the seat of your affections are. The seat of your desires are, are actually in your midriff, which is crazy. Um, you know, I love Leonard Ravenhill. He actually says that there are two kinds of people, and we all fall in this category, that we're either, he says there's only two kinds, which I would like to think that there's a third category, which I'll explain that later, but he makes this strong statement. There are two kinds of people, those who are dead to sin, and those that are dead in sin. We're either one or the other. Either we're dead to sin and we're resisting it, or we're actually yielding to it and we're dead in sin. And see, it's all a matter of what we're yielding to. If we actively yield to the Holy Spirit, it's only a matter of time before certain things lose their grip in our lives. It's just a matter of time before we even lose our appetite mm -hmm. for certain things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, this might sound like a very strong statement, but in reference to sin, and I almost hesitate to say it because I know Will records these things and then who knows who Will listens, but <clears throat> um, I honestly, and I can't get away from this, I firmly believe that sin is insanity. I know this sounds crazy and very strong to say, but when think about it this way. When you're the person on the outside, right? When you're not the one bound in it, stuck in it, participating in it. When you're the one on the outside sitting and listening to a friend. I mean, you guys have all been the one in that situation. Sitting and listening to a friend that is either participating in fornication, you know, dating an unsaved person, they're bound in sexual sin, somebody that knows truth, once walked with them. You literally sit there kind of going, I feel lost. You're like, I mean, I just sit there, I can't tell you, and I, I say to Daryl all the time, I'm like, I can't get past it. Sin is insanity. Like, we all have it to a degree, obviously, but I mean, even for me, if, if I act out in anger, if I have a right lens and perspective and view, and I, I'm in a place of communing with the Lord, I can look back on it and go, that was just so irrational and silly and 
insane. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not, it's not right. It's not sound. It's not, when you're looking at it through a heavenly perspective, yeah. it just doesn't even make sense. Yeah. I mean, whether it's lying, I mean, some people are legitimately bound to lying. Like, it just kind of flies out of their mouth and they didn't even know it. And have you, you know those kind of people, you hold them accountable and go, you're just lying. You just told me that you, and you did it. And they can't even, like, acknowledge it. It's like there's so many lies weaved in their life. They don't know the difference between a truth and a lie. But when you stand back, issues of sin in our life, and I, I'm saying this for my life, too. I mean, if there is an area that I'm wrestling through unforgiveness toward a family member or whatever, when you take a step back, Unforgiveness is insane. It's just insane. It's, it's not even, you can't rationalize it. I don't care what they did to you. Unforgiveness makes you the person that got hurt and something was a little bit you done to you. Now you're coming into bondage. So you just now like basically compounded your whole problem. So it's like, there's just no rationalizing that it's sound. It's just insane to walk in unforgiveness. Anger is insane. Jealousy is insane. It's insanity because you obviously do not know your identity of who you are. And you're comparing yourself to a completely different individual that has a different calling, a different anointing. They could never, ever, ever take your place. Ever. You have a completely distinct course in destiny. Someone else succeeding will never take away from your success. It, it, it will not affect or hinder you, okay? So, like, get over someone else succeeding. You are not called to do what they're doing. You need to understand that you have a specific calling and place in God. No one can take it from you. No one can replace you, kind of like, because they did it, now you're now somehow. No, that's, that's insane. That's just insane. And if that were the case, that someone could out take your place, do your job, then God like, kind of created a bunch of duplicates, and he doesn't do that. So, I mean, when you truly get a clear perspective of your identity and who you are, that someone else prospering is not going to take away from your prosperity. That someone else, I mean, that's when you listen to people's issues of jealousy in life, I mean, that's what it comes down to is somehow because they're elevated or getting breakthrough, like I'm not. What is that? Like, that's so not true. How about their breakthrough should give you hope of what the Lord's going to do in your life? I mean, <laughs> this is what I mean when I say it's insane. Because when you look at it through... A clear, heavenly perspective, like, like he says here in Colossians, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. When you get up into heavenly perspective, there's so much more clarity. And you're thinking sanely. You're, you can see it clearly. But when you're down on that earth and lowly, fighting against man, trying to make it, trying to strive, trying to be, trying to get out of your mess... I mean, you're just all wrapped up in insanity. <laughs> and, that, and the reason I say it's insanity is, honestly, it's the only way I can justify I sit with some people that are, like, I'm talking born-again believers, tongue-talking, know the word, could teach it, but just in crazy sin. And I sit there going, it has to be insanity. Like, that's the only thing I can justify it as, because if you were thinking clearly and seeing clearly, you would never open the door to the ramifications that will come from years from now because of the choices you make today. What you open the door to. I mean, 
and the reason I say sin is insanity is even momentary pleasure. If you're thinking so momentary to gratify something and not thinking about now for months and years, you're going to have to work yourself out of it, meaning yeah. wrestle against set new patterns in your mind and your time and your heart. I mean, there's ramifications to sin. The wages of sin are death. And the only reason I'm expounding on sin in this measure is somehow because of the false grace message, it's almost as, we, as if we've made sin palatable. It's tolerable. It's somehow, we work with it. We work around it. Like even in our churches, the young adults in, in churches, the participation in carnality and sin is crazy. But instead of looking at, when you look at hardcore, the wages of sin is death. So literally, when you look at sin as it is a thief that has come to your house, why are you now going to excuse it, justify it, cover it, and make room for it to stay with you? It's, it's come to kill and destroy. If you look at it as it is a cancer that needs to be eradicated from your body, sin cripples you. It distorts you. It distorts your perception. It distorts your views. It causes you to focus on self and gratification, even rather than Christ and others. I mean, the whole makeup of it is the wages of sinners' death. That's not saying that God's going to come kill you and strike you dead. It's saying the fruit of sin in our lives is death. It produces death in our lives. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the gift that has been offered. And it's only in having a clear perspective, a clear lens and view and understanding that we actually take a right posture to resist sin and say, oh, no, 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 no. I was not born and destined for bondage, carnality, compromise, to live double. James calls it double-minded. It says when you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. Insanity, right? It opens the door for insanity. That's what I'm saying. Um, because you're saying you desire God. Yeah. You're saying I long for you. I long for your presence. I mean, even so, what I was song Daryl was singing, I just was like, you know, these things, if in the very reality, the outworking of our day-to-day, -day, our moment-to-moment, -moment, we wrestle for the reality of them, I mean, that's what we're after is the integrity of walking it out. Um, so let me just get back to it, but in verse 17, but God be, be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed him from the heart, this issue of the heart that he's after, the affections, the desires, and the passions. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of, of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have when the things of which you... I'm sorry, I just jumped. Oh, what fruit did you have when, it, when in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, there was one other passage I just wanted to read to you in regards to uh, defining of grace and even understanding of true grace. Um, actually, in Romans 5.21 it's actually the chapter before, but in verse 21 it says, So that sin reigned in death, 
even so grace might reign through righteousness mm -hmm. to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That that is the gospel of grace. That that is the understanding of grace. It's the empower, empowering of the Holy Spirit for you to walk free from sin. That that is your portion, that is your inheritance, that is your calling, that is your destiny, and it's ultimately the only way you were created and fashioned to function. It's the only place that we live in true peace. And what I want you to see very clearly is that all of this is not necessarily, he's not pointing the finger at those that are dead in sin. What he's doing, he's speaking of word of hope. I'll, just throughout the, like, the last three verses here, the promises are you were delivered from sin. You've been, you are now slaves of righteousness. You have been set free from sin. You now have the fruit of holiness, of everlasting life. That, that is our portion. And so what I want us to understand is, like I said, in, in chapter 6 here, the whole chapter, as it begins, it really is the understanding of baptism, where he said, you have been dead to sin, you are now raised in eternal life, in the life of Jesus Christ. It's the promise of union with Christ, that that is our inheritance, that that is our portion. And this is what I want us to do closing out today is that for those of you that have never been baptized, if you want to, like I just even read to you in the very, very beginning, that it really is a manifestation and an act and a representation of what the Holy Spirit has done in our inward man. It's a, it's a prophetic <coughs> act and a declaration of being dead to sin and alive to Christ. But, it, but if you've previously been baptized, but you do feel like in this season of your life that there's a severing or a cutting away that you want the Lord to do from a season of addiction or bondage in an area, I would just encourage you, if, it, if your heart feels provoked, um, that next week we're doing baptism, and I would encourage you to participate in that. Um, but what I want us to do is I want us to stand to our feet because I want us to take communion tonight um, as we've discussed the power of resurrection. That? <coughs> no, it's, it's here. Um, before we take communion, what we want to do just as a, as a corporate group of people here, um, if you feel as though, as we've pretty much presented what is our portion in our inheritance, and that this is the gospel of grace that enables us to walk in holiness, I just want, if there's anyone here that almost feels as though that kind of like I shared about the false gospel of, of grace, that somehow it... Um, enables us to continue sinning, and grace is just a cover-up for our sin. If you feel as though somehow you've, I don't want to say embraced, but almost um, that you've like laid your, almost your life down in a sense of defeat, of just saying, I, I'm not capable of overcoming, I have a sin nature, and it's almost as if that we all just need to work with it. But if you feel like that almost defeatist mindset has crippled you, really from pursuing the fullness of Christ that he's destined and ordained for you. We just want to agree together with you specifically in regards to that, even a washing of your mind, yeah. that you could see how it is he's created, even through the lens of his word, of what he's created you for. I, number one, if you feel like that's you, but number two, if you're here today, and even as I was talking about um, that season of my life, and my declaration to the Lord was, all of my confusion, Jesus had understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. If you want to make a vow today that even though there may be a mess or there may be even circumstances of bondage and difficulty, but you're saying, I'm making the choice, I'm going to present myself before him. I'm going to, my, my choice and perpetually, I will yield myself.
to him in the midst of it. If you almost want to make that your vow, I, I just want to encourage you to respond and by coming forward, and we can agree together in prayer with you and for you.
work of the cross was to nullify sin in our lives. So God, even now, God, we thank you for the manifestation Lord, of the finished work of the cross. But even as Paul declared, I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh, the glory of the cross. Oh, the glory of the cross that we are now dead, buried, and raised together with Christ.